When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, Pella, they got a window for every home and every budget. You might know Pella for its award-winning wood windows, but did you know that Pella also has a complete line of industry-leading patented fiberglass and vinyl windows? That's right. Got to check them out. You can check out the fiberglass windows because they use a patented Duracast material, more durable than aluminum or vinyl, and it's made from a composite material used in the aerospace industry for its strength, durability, and temperature resistance. That's big time right there. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good pals at Runza. It's officially available, people. The Reuben Runza Sandwich. Everything you love about a Reuben wrapped up inside the greatness of a Runza Sandwich. So get to Runza today and try the all-new Reuben Runza. And while you're there, tell them your friend Nick Ba sent you. Okay, I am. Uh, I'm taping this on a. Uh, it's it's Monday, uh, Monday morning, March first, and got a lot of things to talk about in the world of college basketball uh, with Creighton and Nebraska, with some free throw shooting, and I also on my flight yesterday, flying home from Cincinnati after doing Creighton Xavier. I wrote down the eight biggest storylines as we enter into March, kind of for March Madness here, things to track over the next month. I'm going to get to that, but i got to get to the big news that broke in Lincoln uh, this morning, uh, Monday, March 1st, and that is the, the news that Nebraska's leading scorer, junior guard Teddy Allen, has left the program. And, you know, extremely surprising in a lot of different ways, but also – not surprising in a lot of different ways, but here this was here was a statement, um, just from the from the university. And there's a quote from Teddy Allen. He says, "Quote: I would like to thank Coach Hoiberg and and his coaching staff for allowing me to come back to Nebraska and have the opportunity to play basketball in the best conference in the country. I appreciate the support I've received from everyone in the program. I'm thankful for the love I've received." from my teammates and the relationships we have built over the last year. I also want to give a special thanks to the Husker fans for their encouragement and support after uh, a lot of thought over the last few days. I've made the decision to focus on getting fully healthy in preparation for the next step in my basketball journey. I will continue to stay at Nebraska for the spring semester and work towards graduation. I'm looking forward to what the future holds as I explore my options. And then Hoiberg also was quoted in the statement as saying, quote, I enjoyed the opportunity to coach Teddy over the past year. We will support him as he finishes the spring semester and wish him nothing but the best going forward. So, yeah, some 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 surprising, you know, you, you're, you're kind of eyebrow raised. But then in, for, for me, <laughs> the only surprising thing about this is the timing to me, to be real honest with you guys. You know, you got one week left in the regular season. You've grinded your way through the season. 
You know, like the losses, the the COVID month long pause in January into early February. You had uh, Teddy Allen just had a forty one point game. You got one week left in the season, one week, and it kind of just seems odd for it to boom, walk away, end it right now. And the fact that there's a joint statement from the university with quotes from both Hoiberg and Teddy Allen tells me that I don't, I mean, I, I, at least on the surface, doesn't appear like anything bad happened or there was, there, there was anything sinister at play here or anything like that. I, I guess it just is what it says it is and Teddy Allen's moving on, I guess. I mean, who, who knows? I mean, you, sometimes you know, put your cynical hat on and, and kind of go, what's, what's really going on behind the scenes here? But uh, again, like I said, the only thing that is surprising to me about this is the timing of it. And because think about it, think about it. If, okay, if you, if you get married to a girl and you're her fourth husband in four years, I don't think you could be too surprised if it doesn't, if it doesn't last long and ends in divorce, right? Fourth marriage, four years. I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden you're, you're got a divorce lawyer in front of you. This is Teddy Allen's fourth program in four years. Started at West Virginia, transferred to Wichita State, then left Wichita State to go to a Western Nebraska Community College, went to the JUCO, and then now this year at Nebraska, fourth program, four years. So from a broad sense, am I surprised that this didn't last? I'm really not. I'm really not. Again, the timing of it's just just odd. You kind of go, what, what, what? One week left in the season? Big Ten tournaments next week? Like, let's be honest, Nebraska's probably going to lose in the first round and be done. I mean, their season could be done in under 10 days, basically. It's, uh, I, I, it's, it's just the timing of it's odd. And I've gotten, you know, since the, the announcement, I got a lot of tweets, a lot of emails. Nick, what do you think of this? How big of a deal is this? What's going on with Hoiberg? Oh, my God. Oh. Uh. And I get it. You know, I mean, it may it's made ESPN headlines and all that stuff on its website and all that stuff. Nebraska leading scorer leaves program. And like I I, I get it on, you know, on the surface that this kind of looks like, oh boy, this is not good for Nebraska. Leading scorer left the team. He just had forty one points last week. You know, he guy had maybe one, maybe two years left to play at Nebraska. Damn, Fred Hoiberg, this is bad. Eh. Eh. I don't really see it like that. You know, as I was kind of writing this takeout, I, I really, I got to be delicate and choose my words here. And so I'm going to, I'm going to really, really try, but I feel like I got to be, you know, I got to be loyal to you guys, the listeners. I got to be honest with you. Like, I, I remember talking to someone at the, maybe a month into the season, I'm not going to say who, and we were talking about Nebraska, we were talking about Teddy Allen and someone put Teddy like this. They go, you know, Teddy's, he's just good enough to get you beat. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of, you know, like it's an interesting way to put it. It's probably accurately stated. Just being honest. And I don't mean for any of what I'm about to say to be mean-spirited or, uh, or you know, I got nothing. I, got, I wish Teddy Allen nothing but the best, right? I, this, I'm just being honest here, okay? I'm just, be, I'm just being honest. I always, to me, Teddy Allen is kind of your classic big stats on a bad team player. 
There's that saying in basketball, every bad team has a leading scorer. In my opinion, that's kind of Teddy Allen to me. And I'm, I'm, I hate, like, I'm not a mean, I, I hate, like, even as I wrote that out and said it, I feel mean right now. Like, I feel like I need to call Teddy and be like, hey, man, I don't mean this to be mean. I'm just being honest, though. Like, just being, um, like, watched a lot of Nebraska, watched a lot of Teddy Allen. I, I've watched a lot of college basketball. I watched a lot of basketball, period. I'm just being honest. There, guys, there's more to basketball than just how many points you score. So many people equate how good you are to how many points did you score. And there's just so much more to basketball and winning than how many points did you score. What kind of teammate are you? What do you like Monday through Friday in practice? What do you like in the locker room? What kind of decisions do you make on and off the court? On the court, what's your shot, your shot selection? What's your decision-making with the ball? Does the ball move defensively? Can we trust you to be in the right spots as it pertains to the game plan? All those things. But sometimes, the only thing people want to focus on is scoring. Oh, my God, he had, he had 28. Really? Okay. I mean, he did. He did. That's good. But, you know, there's more to basketball than just that. When, when I watch Teddy Allen, the way he scores, to me, comes at the expense of execution to a certain extent. And, and the way he gets steals, and he gets a lot of steals, but I always feel like the, 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 one of the ultimate ways, I, the lazy way to equate good defense is if someone just points to steals. Like, steals don't necessarily mean you're a great defender. They don't. Because to me, the way Teddy Allen gets steals comes from he gambles a lot, he gets out of position, he takes a lot of risks, which, you know, there's there's ramifications to that if you don't get the steal. So it's like, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, he had 22 points and he had three steals in a game or whatever, but in amassing those stats, what happened in the wake of arriving at those stats? In amassing those stats, the offensive flow and execution sputtered a little bit, and his gambling or breaking away from a defensive you know, system or plan may have maybe have cost Nebraska some points, got someone else in foul trouble because he had a position. Now someone's got to rotate to help, and all of a sudden you're fouling. Not, not to mention that you know he's a guy that can lack a little bit of self-control out there. Technical fouls, constantly getting in little scuffles. You, ha- you already had the one-game suspension at Minnesota a couple weeks ago for – I can't remember how they phrase it, failure to uplo- uphold program standards, whatever it is. I mean, he's got a track record of, of, of some of that stuff. Like, he, he was a guy, and I'm not saying anything out of time. I mean, he's a guy that came with some baggage in, in, on that front, you know? Like, he's got a track record there. So, you know, there's also that that you have to kind of consider in all this stuff as well. And, and, just, and for me, you just add up all those things things and I'm just not in the camp that this is an enormous blow to the team to the program you know sound the alarms I hope I'm delivering this delicately and in the right way because I'm I'm really I'm not meaning to turn on the mic and crush Teddy Allen I'm really not I wish the guy nothing but the best nothing but the best I'm just being honest and calling like I see it He's always, he's kind of always felt like an empty a empty stats guy. He's kind of always felt like big stats bad team guy. Big stats on a bad team guy. 
And I mean, a guy that, that, that does come along with some baggage. And, you know, you look at it like, I mean, Teddy Allen's has taken almost 100 more shots than anyone on the team. And basketball's weird, man. Like, <laughs> the guy who takes the most shots, that guy has a lot of responsibility in a variety of ways of being a great teammate, doing all the right things, being about all the right things that the coach talks about, all that stuff. And if all those things don't align, you could potentially have a problem. And the only way that doesn't become a problem is if you're winning. And Nebraska, they're not winning. So, I mean, that's how that's how I see the, you know, kind of the on-the-court stuff. I'm I'm a big like, does what you do translate to winning? We've the one thing that that sometimes people go cross at it, we we become so stats obsessed that the one stat we forget about is winning. Winning. Do you win? And to me, I just always felt like when I watched Teddy Allen play that he 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 amass he amasses stats. He stockpiles stats, but didn't impact winning at a high enough level. So I don't necessarily view this as a hit the panic button, freak out, oh my God, this is a disaster for the program type of thing. That I, the only thing that really surprises me about this is the timing that we got, you know, a, a week, ten days, twelve days left in the season. Just kind of weird to not just finish this thing out. But other than that, I'm not. I, I can't sit here and turn on the mic and be disingenuous and act like I'm. I'm surprised, greatly surprised by this. And I'm not also going to turn on the mic and be disingenuous and just say leading scorer. He's not here. This is bad. There's way more to it than that, and there's way more to basketball than that. So there you go. Be- best of luck to Teddy Allen in his next chapter. Be interesting to see where this road takes him. Uh, and, you know, again, to all the Husker basketball fans out there listening to this podcast, I've reached out. I don't view this as the end of the world at all. I really don't. I really, really don't. N- next thing I wanted to get into, uh, I got an email from Jeremy. Reminder, you can email me, nick at nickbaugh.com. He emails, says, Nick, you were a good free throw shooter. Explain to me why the hell both Nebraska and Creighton can't make free throws. And, you know, he's right. Like, it's crazy. You know, you look at uh, the free throw shooting for both programs. You know, Creighton, I'm looking at right now, Creighton ranks 313th in the country in three in free, free throw shooting. They're dead last in the Big East. Nebraska ranks 332nd in the country. So basically, basically... Creighton and Nebraska are are one of the some of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country. And you know, free throw shooting is unique, man. It's a really unique thing um, to discuss, to analyze. You know, it's just because yeah, I, I was a I was a good free throw shooter, and I still hold the I still hold the Nebraska state record for consecutive free throws made. Uh, I made in high school. I made I made fifty eight in a row. I was about a ninety percent. A ninety percenter free throw shooter in high school, college. I didn't get to the line a ton. I was around eighty percent, I think. I'm not even totally sure, but it like at Creighton, for instance, like if there was a technical foul and we had to shoot free throws, I'm going to the free throw line. So I I know I know a little bit about free throw shooting. 
And, you know, I've seen a lot of people, just like Jeremy in that email, complain about, you know, Nebraska and Creighton's free throw shooting. And some people, like, I've even seen Steve Sippel, or I'll listen to Sports Talk Radio, but but Sip sometimes almost in a weird way is almost like, he's almost like pegged the poor free throw shooter on Hoiberg or something. And maybe I'm misinterpreting what Sipple's saying, but sometimes when I listen to him or I read his columns, I'm like, wait a minute, like, are you, this is on Hoiberg? And I just don't, I don't know. It's weird. I don't, I don't see how, I don't see how you can necessarily just draw a straight line, like bad free throw shooting, horrible coaching. I don't, I don't like, there's some things you can equate to coaching, right? But some things I'm like, some some stuff's just on the on the individuals. Like some stuff's just on like you got to step up and make your free throws. Sometimes it's it, it's weird. And in, in talking about free throws, I'm going to talk about how complicated it is, but then how it's just it's not that complicated. Like it's not rocket science. Sure, there are basic elements to free throw shooting to keep in mind, right? There there are very basic elements, but it's such an individualized thing. Like for me, I'll tell you, like so. This is how I always approach free throw shooting. I always like to take free throw shooting. I take it one free throw at a time. Meaning, so I'd step off the line for each free throw. So, okay, you know, I drive to the basket, I get fouled, I'm going to line to shoot two. I'm going to stand about two, three steps off the line, and each free throw is its own individual thing. So my process was, okay, I'm not going to get to the line until everybody's set and the, you know, the ref's about throwing the ball. Catch the ball, step forward. Get that right foot, that right big toe, put that right on the nail. There's a there's a nail on every basketball court in the world on the free throw line that is kind of the way they they measure out all the different dimensions of the court, uh, all that stuff. Like so, there's a nail right in the middle uh, on every uh, on the free throw line that's dead center aligned with the front middle of the rim. You get that foot right on there, you are dead center bullseye in the middle of the rim. And so, big right toe on that, on, that, on that nail. As I'm doing that, good deep breath. Then I had a simple routine, two dribbles for me. Then I'd kind of spin, not a full like Michael Jordan spin, but like a spin, kind of spin the ball a little bit in my hands until I got the seams exactly where I wanted them to be. And as I am spinning the ball, getting the seams where I want them to be, I repeated something in my head every time. And it was something my JV coach said about me my freshman year in high school in a game at North Platte. I made a bunch of free throws that day, and he told one of our other assistant coaches, Ryan Pfeiffer, he said, he said, Fife, I'm not so sure he isn't the best free throw shooter in the system. And I, I heard that, and for whatever reason, that gave me confidence. And I would repeat that every time I shot a free throw. So, you know, as I'm spinning the ball, you know, getting the seams exactly where I wanted them to be, Fife, I'm not so sure he's not the best free throw shooter in the system. Another good deep breath. Shoot, swish, step back, do it all over again. And that worked for me. And I would do that every time I shot a free throw. Practice, game, I did it. I did that every time. It didn't matter what I was doing. I would say the saying. I would do all this stuff every time. But think, 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 about, think about what I just told you. What does all that tell you? It tells you how mental this shit is, right? Like, the free throw line, in my opinion, is largely a mental game. Because, you know, you see great shooters 
at times are bad free throw shooters, or sometimes you'll see bad perimeter shooters be good free throw shooters. I mean, Creighton's the perfect example of that. How is Creighton, who's one of the best shooting teams in the country, one of the worst free throw shooting teams in the country? Because it's mental. A lot of it is mental. The... The free throw line is either a place you're either comfortable and confident there or you're not. It's either a place you want to be or you don't. And for me, the process of acquiring confidence at the free throw line, or really acquiring the confidence for anything, but we're talking about free throws here, is done in two ways. Through preparation, because preparation breeds confidence, but then results as well. You can prepare all you want, but at some point, you got to see the results for that confidence to really be there. But the most important thing is the preparation of it. My high school coach, Jeff Smith, would make us shoot 50 free throws a day in high school. We had to shoot 50 every day, either before or after practice, and then you'd have to report to him. And, and he had a sheet, and you'd have to be like, I made 43 out of 100, I made 48 out of 100, I made 39 out of 100, whatever it is. And he'd keep a running total for the entire season, and he'd even have free throw shooting contests about once a week based on the standings. And he had, like, he called it the free throw ladder, and you'd be like the free throw champ in all of, like, the varsity and JV team. Like, you were number one, you were number two, whatever. So not only are you preparing, but then you're competing. So I thought I liked that. You know, and maybe Fred Hoiberg and Greg McDermott can do something like that. But again, I don't think there is a quote unquote right or wrong way to to do this. I mean, again, coaching free throws is just an, I don't know. It's again, I think it's a it's it's a it's a mental thing. And I I told you what it was like for me in high school with my high school coach of free throws. I've told you guys this before at Kansas playing for Bill Self. We never worked on free throws. Not one time. I can't remember one time we ever worked on free throw shooting at KU in my two years playing for Coach Self. But at Creighton, playing for Dane Allman, we worked on free throws all the time. Night before every game, we'd meet in the gym in street clothes and, you know, in sweats and, you know, a Creighton T-shirt or whatever, and we'd shoot free throws for about 30 minutes. And listen, man, Coach Allman, it was quiet as a library in the gym when we did it. All you would hear is the bouncing of the ball, the swish of the net, the bang, the clang of the rim or whatever. You didn't hear it. No one was talking. And we'd do that at, before every game. The night before a game, we'd all go, we'd meet at the old gym, and we'd shoot free throws. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast to talk to you guys about Pella Windows and Doors. And, you know, with the weather changing and spring on the horizon, people now start thinking about doing some work to their home, whether it's some new windows or a new door. Really exciting, right? But sometimes you don't even know where to begin. Let me help you out. First of all, got to go with Pella, obviously. And then there are a couple of directions you can go when you head the Pella route. You can schedule a free in-home consultation. It's 100% free. You're going to get a Pella expert to come out, sit down, take a look at your home, and then they're going to get a feel for your budget, your wants and your needs, your needs and they're going to put together a game plan that perfectly fits you. Or head out to their showroom. The showroom is really, really cool. Sometimes it, it actually helps to see the window, see the door, open it, close it to get a better feel of exactly what you're going to be installing in your home. The showroom is, is a great place to start the showrooms are open in Lincoln and Omaha any direction you start just know Pella can 100% provide window and door solutions to any home check them out online PellaOmaha.com that's PellaOmaha.com and the Nick Bob podcast is brought to you by my good pals at 
Runza, you know, when I'm on the road, I'm on, I've been on the road a ton lately, whether I'm calling games at Michigan, at Xavier, going to Charlotte to call games out of the studio. There's one thing that I always make it a priority whenever I get back in the in, uh, in the good old 402 Nebraska, a.k.a. Runza land, is I always got to make sure I stop on out and get my Runza fix. It's just, a, you know, it's like I get nostalgic for home and I get out to Runza and I just feel better about my life when I'm back home eating uh, an amazing Runza. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is officially available. New menu item. The Reuben Runza Sandwich is available in all Runza locations starting on March 1st, which, oh, let me check the date. It is today. You need to get out and take advantage of this. Everything you love about a Reuben wrapped inside the greatness of a Runza sandwich. So make sure you're taking advantage of the Reuben-style Runza sandwich. Get out there, try the new Reuben Runza, and while you're there, tell them your pal, your buddy, your ba- your BFF, Nick Baugh sent you. Okay, back to the podcast. So every coach I played for would have us would have a different approach. Now, every coach I played for would have us also shoot free throws under pressure with conditioning. This is pretty much, you know, every coach does this. We'd, you know, you'd be conditioning at the end of practice, running suicides, and then a coach would call one of us out, and, you know, you'd have to step to the free throw line and, you know, and make two free throws or the team had to run again. So, you know, everybody's run. You've run four or five suicides. Coach Altman's up. Bob, get out here. Bob, make two. We're done. Bob misses them. We're running again, you know. So you, you step up. You shoot your free throws, you know. You got a little something on it because you don't want, you don't want to run and you don't want to make your teammates run. So there are lots of ways to do it, lots of ways to imp- implement it, and you know. I, and so with with Hoiberg and and McDermott, like everybody, you know, in terms of coaching free throws, yeah, you can look for glaring, basic things, inconsistent routines, um, bad balance, not holding your follow through. Where are your eyes? Some people are flat-footed and not getting on their toes, uh, falling back off the line, so bad balance. I always try to think about falling forward. Like, I think you, if, if anything, you need to be falling forward on a free throw, not back. So you can coach and look at all that stuff, and all that stuff matters, and I can guarantee you Greg McDermott and Fred Hoiberg are looking at that stuff, right? Like, if somebody's got a glaring issue and one of the things I just talked about, yeah, they're going to talk. They're going to say, hey, you're falling back, fall forward, or hey, uh, you know, hold your follow through. What you know, what all that stuff, basic stuff, right? Elementary shit. But there is that you know that balance of how much do you want to talk about it and make it a thing with a player or a team versus just letting a player work through it on his own. Again, no right answer. I just think a lot of this comes back to the individual player. Get your ass in the gym, work on free throws, take it serious when you're there, and shooting them. Because I do, I see this all the time. I see guys go work on free throws, and it's not game like at all. They're, you know, they're half-assed doing their routine, talking and joking as they shoot. You know, like, yeah. So I mean, me, I'm, I'm, you know, Jessica called me last night. You know, so I might go. I'm gonna go to her house afterwards, and you know, as you're shooting free, you know, okay, no, that's not like, shut up. Make it game like. Like that was something I always felt like I understood at a young age as a basketball player. Like you got to practice game like. That goes for everything. Threes, mid-range, drives, free throws, ball handling. Like, practicing half speed or half focused is not really, like, that's not, that's not, that's not going to get you anywhere. Do it like you would do it in a game. 
But to me, I, I know Hoiberg and, and Coach and McDermott, they're coaching free throws to whatever degree they need to be coaching free throws. And whenever I say coaching free throws, I'm doing air quotes here. That doesn't play well in the podcast. But This is about players stepping up, doing whatever they need to do to try to give themselves the best chance to feel as confident and comfortable as they can when they shoot free throws in a game. And it's a real, I mean, it's a real thing, especially because, you know, what does Nebraska do best? I think they're, the, they're, they're really good at drawing fouls because they're, they're a roster full of drivers. They could make teams pay by making free throws. And you look at Creighton, you could argue three of Creighton's losses at Kansas, Marquette at home, and then the, over the weekend at Xavier, if they just make their free throws, and I'm not saying they go 24 of 24, like if they just make – a, an acceptable good amount of their free throws, they probably win all three games. So it matters, man. It matters. So that that's how how I see it. I know I've talked about this before on the pod, but like free throw shooting continues to be a point of 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 contention, and I get a lot of emails about it, and you know, got another email about it, and it's. It, because I, I, I wanted to make it clear, because there's a lot of people that's like, oh, what are the coaches got to step up and help? It's like, well, I mean, there's a, yeah, like, the, can coaches help? Yes. But I just think this is more about, like, you got to, this is on the players to do what they got to do to give themselves the best chance to be confident and comfortable at the free throw line when they step there in a game. That, that's how, that's how I see it. All right, so it is like I said, it's March, baby. It's March first. That means it's it's college basketball's you know stage. This is the the month that you know college basketball owns. It's March Madness, and you know I'm on my flight home yesterday from Cincinnati, and I have my computer out, and I'm like, all right, baby, it is it's it's going to be March. Like I, I wrote down my this is my elite eight things to track in the month of March for college basketball. I wrote down eight different kind of storylines or, or things to track as, you know, the regular season winds down, we get into conference tournaments, and then, of course, we get into the NCAA tournament. Here are my Elite Eight things to track in March. Number one, the integrity and kind of vil- validity of the of the tournament. And what I mean by that is, Will the NCAA tournament feel legit as it's being played out and crown a champ? Or are there going to be a handful of prominent big events and prominent big teams that test positive for COVID that alters kind of how all this feels? You know what I mean? Like Gonzaga gets popped with COVID. They got to drop out. Let's be honest. Tournament's going to feel a lot different if that happens. Uh, Loyola Chicago wins their first round game. Then their next game gets canceled. So they go to the Sweet 16. Like, eh, that doesn't feel like a legit – like. Not to, like it doesn't feel like a normal like a sweet sixteen run for kind of a, a mid major, right? Even for me, like I read this last week, and I I might be, I might have misunderstood this, but I listened to Gary Parish and Matt Norlander talk about this on on their podcast, and like they kind of interpreted it the way I did. Think about this: after the field is announced, if a team has to drop out due to COVID, now if it's a one bid league. They're going to take another team from that conference. So, you know, some from the Summit League. You know, uh, South Dakota State drops out, so they're going to take North Dakota State or whatever. They'll just take another team from that conference. But if it's not from a one bid league, like the committee will fill that spot with the teams that just missed the field. And remember, the the committee releases that. You know, they they let you know who are the next four teams on that like at large 
They just missed a cut. So they're going to fill that spot with team number 69, if you will. Meaning, in theory, again, this is the way I understand it, and this seems crazy to me. Let's say Baylor is a one seed, and they get popped for COVID and have to withdraw before the like right as the field gets announced. Let's say the the last team left out of the field was Georgia Tech. I'm just pulling a team out of my you-know-what. Like, Let's say the last team out of the field was Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech then slides in Baylor's place, and now Georgia Tech has the path of a one seed. Wow. Now, will that happen? I don't know. Probably not, but it's possible. I don't know why they wouldn't recede, recede everything if that happens. But that apparently isn't the plan as of now. And so I guess I'm just pointing out these things to drive home the, the, the first thing that I'm going to be watching for in March is, you know, how much is the tournament going to maintain its legitimacy and, and not feel fluky with weird things unfolding due to COVID, right? That's kind of the first thing, that, one of the first things I wrote down. Second thing to track in, in March is kind of these conference tournaments. Like, what's going to happen with these conference tournaments? And is it a bad idea that a lot of these conference tournaments are going to be held right before the NCAA tournament? There's been a lot of talk over the last month or so about conference tournaments being a bad idea in terms of an unnecessary risk for teams, you know, with, with right before the NCAA tournament takes place with COVID obviously looming, right? especially for the teams that are firmly in the field. You know, like people have talked about, does it make sense for a team like Gonzaga, who is firmly in the field, for them to go play in the West Coast Conference? They have, you know, everything to lose and nothing to gain because what if, the, you know, you, you're, you're traveling, you're, you're coming together with all your teams from the conference, all that stuff. You get hit with COVID, it playing in a quote-unquote kind of meaningless West Coast Conference tournament in, from Gonzaga's perspective, and now they can't play in the NCAA tournament. And even for some of the bigger boys, you know, like, do you want to, I mean, does the Big Ten want to risk Michigan getting popped for COVID and then they can't go play in the NCAA tournament? Now, by all accounts, almost every conference is planning on holding their conference tournaments, some in its its normal form. Like, some are not going to have, I mean, I think maybe the ACC is going to have some fans, uh, but obviously the Big Ten is altering things. They're going to Indianapolis to have their Big Ten tournament, no fans. Uh, Big East is doing their same thing at Madison Square Garden, but it's going to be no fans. But we'll see what all this looks like and if it backfires for some teams or conferences knocking them out of the NCAA tournament because they had their conference tournament. It's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of weeks. Third biggest storyline is Gonzaga and can they finish off their undefeated season? Gonzaga's Zags are 24-0 as we're taping this. Can they run the table? Be the first team since 76 Indiana to do so. We've had some teams reach the NCAA tournament undefeated but fall short. Wichita State a few years back, Kentucky a few years back. Can Gonzaga complete the undefeated season? The number one storyline if you're looking at on the on the court, you know, from a basketball perspective, when the NCAA tournament gets going is Gonzaga. Can they seal the deal? Fourth storyline I'm going to be tracking is just the committee's mistakes and 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 issues with selecting and seeding 68 teams. It's going to be fascinating to watch. And, th- and this isn't meant to be a shot at the committee, but they are deemed with the impossible task of selecting and seeding 68 teams in an unprecedented season with COVID. 
It, listen, it's hard enough to get it right in normal years for the selection committee where everyone's played the same amount of games, where every where there are fans in arenas and, and all that stuff, and people aren't going on two-week pauses and all that stuff. It's hard enough in normal circumstances. But this year's it, it feels like it's impossible to get it 100% to get it. You're, the, it feels like it's impossible to, to not have some massive mistakes with this. We have teams playing different amounts of games, teams dealing with multiple COVID pauses in the season, and not just like, oh, they missed a couple of days. They missed a couple of weeks. You know, Xavier's gone on three different pauses. Michigan stopped for three weeks. Baylor's been on pot like no home court advantage, making it harder to weigh road wins versus home wins. Like we've also had, I think this is really something that hasn't been talked about enough. We had an abnormal non-conference slate where we didn't have kind of the relatively equal non-conference games played across the board, right? The Big East Big Ten Challenge didn't get played. The Gavitt games didn't get played. Certain teams lost a lot of their big non-conference matchups like Creighton. Creighton was supposed to be in that Sioux Falls tournament. Ohio State was there. I think West Virginia was there. That that tournament fell apart. They didn't play. Some people didn't get to play their big non-conference matchups. Certain teams like DePaul didn't play for the first month of the season and lost their non-conference games. All those things kind of make it hard to judge conferences because they're kind of just playing against each other. Right? And all those things are going to make it really hard for the committee when they're when they're seeding this thing. And so it'll be interesting to see the mistakes. Some of it will, of course, be in hindsight, but nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see the mistakes from the committee in trying to select and properly seed an NCAA tournament field given all the issues of this season. Fifth storyline to track in March. Can Michigan stay hot? The hottest team in the country, not named Gonzaga's Michigan. They're 18 and one. They came back off this three week COVID shutdown and they've been red hot. They beat Wisconsin on the road. They, they beat Ohio State on the road. They hammered Iowa. They hammered Indiana on the road. I, I had their game against Rutgers at home. Uh, they just dominated them from start to finish. Now, I've been bought into Michigan for three months, but a lot of people are starting to drink the Kool Aid after that. Uh, the, the Michigan win on the road at Ohio State. I mean, it's a bit – Jawan Howard, huge name, member of the Fab Five, back coaching on the sidelines with Michigan, cool storyline to track when the NCAA tournament gets rolling here because they are, they are good enough to win the whole damn thing. Can Michigan stay hot? Sixth storyline to track. Is the Big Ten as good as everyone thinks they are? One of the themes all year, and deservedly so for the most part, has been just how good the Big Ten Conference is this season. They might get, you know, for a while there was talk, could they get 11 teams in? Are they going to get 10? They might get nine teams in. I mean, like Michigan or Minnesota's kind of faded a little bit, but, you know, there, there's talk about them getting nine, 10 teams in. And... I, Full disclosure, I kind of hate using NCAA tournament results as a referendum on a conference. So let me say that first. But the Big Ten has kind of been branded as historically great this year. All the metrics have spit out that the Big Ten conference is having one of the best conference seasons from a conference strength standpoint in decades in college basketball. It's one of the best. 
Okay, well, let, let's see how that goes in the NCAA tournament, right? I think that's a fair story to track. If the conference is all it's made out to be, okay, well, let's, let's see how that how it how it all they they fare in the NCAA tournament, right? Like I said, the theme for much of the regular season has been Big Ten dominance. Okay, well, let's see if that theme holds true in the postseason. Going to be interesting to watch. Seventh storyline. The blue blood resurgence and potentially strong finish. One of the themes also throughout the year has been the blue blood struggles. Kentucky's been bad. They're 8-14, and going to miss, it, miss the, the tournament. Duke has struggled. Michigan State has struggled. North Carolina has struggled. Kansas has had its up and downs. But the last few weeks, Michigan's starting to get it going. They've knocked off Ohio State. Duke is starting to get it going. Kansas just beat Baylor, and they've won six of their last seven games. North Carolina's squarely on the bubble. They had a tough loss to Marquette at home, but bounced back, beat Florida State. With brand-name blue bloods like North Carolina, Duke, Michigan State on the bubble, oh, baby, it's going to be interesting to see if those teams, A, get in the NCAA tournament, and then B, what they do when they're in the NCAA tournament. Huge storyline to track. And my last storyline to track is I give you my Elite Eight storylines to track in March. Who becomes a household name? March is when it kind of the month where legends are born in college basketball. Who's it going to be? What player are we all going to be talking about a month from now? What player is going to get hot, lead his team, make a run? We've seen it with Steph Curry and Davidson, Kemba and Shabazz with UConn. Who's the next guy? There's always that, that one player that kind of steals the show. Carries his team to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, or even the Final Four. Who's going to be that guy? And... Like, this is like a storyline with, excuse me, I almost dropped my microphone there. This is like a storyline within a storyline. The guy I'd keep an eye on is Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State. And what's interesting about Oklahoma State is they were hit with a one-year postseason ban before the season started because of their involvement in that FBI probe investigation where a former assistant coach was, was caught uh, being involved in that stuff. He's no longer there, but Oklahoma State was hit with a postseason ban. But Oklahoma State is appealing that postseason ban, and it's in the process of being appealed. And if the NCAA doesn't make a decision on the appeal before the NCAA tournament, then Oklahoma State is eligible for the tournament. <laughs> Crazy, right? And Cade Cunningham is 100% good enough to carry Oklahoma State deep into the tournament. If you have not watched this dude play, he's averaging 19, 6, and 3. He's 6'8". He's got guard skills. He reminds me of Grant Hill a little bit, but he kind of plays methodical like Luka Doncic. Like, he dropped 40 on Oklahoma in their last game over the, over the weekend here. He's a consensus top five pick in the NBA draft next year. He could even be the number one pick in the NBA draft. If Oklahoma State gets in the tournament, and look out for Cade Cunningham. Look out for Cade Cunningham. He's the kind of dude that could, you know, he could have, a, he could have 25, 9, and 9 and beat uh, one of the top teams. 
Because you can make case the best player in college basketball is Cade Cunningham. So there you go. My Elite Eight storylines for March Madness here as it's officially the month of March. It is the best month of the year. I am beyond excited. We got some great regular season conference race matchups. Creighton and Villanova is a huge game in the middle of this week. Creighton's got a chance because Nova lost at Butler to win the conference outright if they beat Nova and then beat Butler on uh, Saturday, March 6th. And then obviously conference tournaments gets rolling, which I was excited. And then the NCAA tournament will get rolling. There's a lot of excitement and storylines to track. Those are my elite eight stories for the month of March. So there you go, baby. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Click that subscribe button while you're there. Give it a five-star rating and review. Appreciate you guys tuning in and downloading the pod. We'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese runs are delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.